to do what he had committed to do this morning, and he chose his love for you. So he cannot be here this morning. There's an illness in his family. It is just wise for him to be where he is. Uh, so you, my joke has always been that if you want me to preach for an hour, I'm ready right now. If you want me to preach for 20 to 25 minutes, I need a week. I've had 12 hours. So the, the great thing about uh, Kurt, and I hope he's watching, and I hope he takes this as I mean it, and that's just out of love for him, but um, when he, I was asking him kind of where he's headed, and I got his whole sermon last night. So you're going to get the pieces that I remember. Uh, these are both passages that I'm very familiar with. I've done the Greek work on them prior. I have files for all of that stuff. So you're not getting just, just a, a throwaway. Um, but we are finishing up this series on, that we're calling Connect. And we started this series by letting you know that when the elders and the deacons and the staff met this summer to ask God what he would have us uh, do, how, how would he have us focus for the next 12 months, um, he, he gave us a theme and we're working on how we might make that specific. So and all, of the, all of the ideas that got thrown up on the, on the, on the pad of paper in the front of the room all had to do with, about, had to do with connection. Um, whether it be fellowship, whether it be small groups, whether it be uh, neighborhoods, what, whatever it might be, it would all boil down to connection. So today we're going to announce the, the goal that, we're, that we believe God has called Community Reform Church to between now and this time, uh, a little bit, end of August, maybe end of September of 2022. So uh, we've talked about Connecting, God connecting with us. We've talked about us connecting with God and how we might connect with one another. And today we're going to be specific about who we are and who we are, who we represent. So the title that Kurt had was Life is a Mission Trip. And I'm just going to shorten that and say Life is Mission. And we're going to talk about the Great Commission. Now, uh, Mission India. Had done a, has done a survey with people in churches, and, and they found out that about 40% of people are, about 40% of Christians in the church who are regular churchgoers do not know what the Great Commission is. Um, actually, it's 60% don't know, 40% do. So the Great Commission is, the, is what Jesus told his disciples after he had died and resurrected, and he had, he had he'd met with them several times, and he told them to go to a place and wait for him. And when the, the place that they, they, when they went to wait, they were waiting for him and he showed up and he gave them his last words while he was, before he ascended to the Father. And we're going to read those today. That's from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 and 17. And then after that, we're going to move into the early church in Acts chapter 4 and how some of the apostles saw their lives and saw their call. And I would say, I would argue that based on the Great Commission, and that Acts chapters 2, 3, and 4, that that is their call is our call. And we're going we're to walk through that. I'm gonna, and then I'll give you at the end, I'll give you just very specific, um, what that very specific goal is. And I want you to know if you're a note taker, I'm not usually good as a preacher for people that are taking notes because I don't follow an outline. I don't follow, and I don't usually have like, there's four things, one, two, three, four, and they all start with A, but I do today. So if you're one who wants to, what does it mean to, to live a life of mission? I've got some ideas for you, and they all, there's the four A's. So when we get to that, if you want to jot those down, feel free. Let's pray together, and we'll dive into Matthew 28. 
Lord, it, <laughs> I always pray that you give me your words to speak to your people. More so today. I usually have a week of struggling and studying and praying and avoiding what you want to say, but not this week. So Lord, it is your message for us. So if there's something I haven't planned to say that you want said, I want to say it. But if there's something I have planned to say you don't want said, I, I, don't, I don't want to say that. But I know that your people want to hear your word for us. So give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive what you would have us see, hear, and receive. And Lord, and specifically today, your demeanor, your countenance, your pace. I know that when, when, when I have time, I can slow down. When I don't have much time, I tend to speed up. So I ask, Lord, that you slow me down so that your people can think, can ruminate, can consider what you're saying to them. Pray this in Jesus' name, through the power of your Spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. So after, after Jesus had, had, had died and resurrected, and there were several different interactions that Jesus had with his disciples, and at one time, 500 people witnessed Jesus' resurrection. Um, and just so you know, when people start, some people like to, like to say, well, he didn't bodily resurrect. And, well, scientifically speaking, uh, neuroscience would say that it is, it is impossible for two people to audibly and visually hallucinate the same thing. It's impossible. Because a hallucination is a figment of whatever's going on in your mind or whatever uh, chemicals someone might have put into, you, into themselves or have put in for you. So if, if, if you and I, and this, we would never do this, but if you and I were on some hallucinogenic substance and we started hallucinating, we would not see nor hear the same thing. It is physiologically impossible. So for 500 people to see and hear and witness the Lord's resurrection, it is physiologically, neurologically impossible for them to have hallucinated just because they wanted it to be true, the same thing. But their stories, those that have been recorded, are consistent and accurate. So when we see, we hear about something that Jesus said or did after he died and was, and, and, and was raised from the dead, before he ascended to the Father, we can be sure of one thing, that if he said something after the resurrection, before he went back to be at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from where he will come to judge the living and the dead, we can be certain that he wanted us to hear it. We can be certain that, that if he says, this is what I leave with you, that we should listen closely. We should listen closely to everything that he said, everything that he did. But of all things, when he's getting ready to go and he tells us that it's better for him to go because we're going to get the comforter, that's not what we're going to read right here. But, but we should understand that he's not kidding. He's not joking. That the God of the universe would have something to say while he's still with us with skin on it's something that we should hear. So this is what the church has known for 2,000 years as the Great Commission. It's in Matthew chapter 28, and it says this. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him. They didn't just say, hey, what's up? Good to see you. That little resurrection thing, pretty good trick. They, they worshiped, but some, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority 
in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And just so you know, a little little Greek work here, just so you know, the only, we, we all, when missionaries come, and it's great that they do, and they say, go into all the, you know, go, go. I just want you to know that the only directive, the only imperative in this sentence about going is making disciples. So if the others are participles, so if you, if you really want to know the meat of what Jesus just said, as he said, while going and while baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, make disciples of all people. So all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. We already know this. We wouldn't be in church if we didn't believe this. But he says, everything that gets decided in heaven and about and for the earth is mine to decide, says Jesus. And he says, for you, me, us, Make disciples. Wherever you go, make disciples. While you're going, anywhere you go, when you go to work, when you go to your neighbor, when you go across the sea, when you, when you go halfway around the world, while going and while baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, make disciples. So how might we do that? And do we Think about that on a regular basis. Do we believe that that is God's mission, his call, our, what it means to be a Christian? Do we believe, do we know that it's true, but we kind of count on pastors and missionaries and, and learned people to do that. But, but who did Jesus count on? Not learned people. We're going to read that in Acts chapter 4. We'll see that, that, that the authorities, the spiritual authorities got frustrated because these men who seem to speak with authority are not their regular, plain, ordinary, non-learned men. But we can get something from what they think or how they behave after they receive the Great Commission, after they receive the Holy Spirit. And they kind of receive the Holy Spirit, an extra measure of him in the passage that we're going to read today. So I just want you to know what what had just happened before we read this passage. uh, Peter and John, John, one of the sons of thunder, Peter, ready, fire, aim. Right? Peter's the guy that jumps out on the water. Peter's the guy that, 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 that says great things. But then Jesus has an encounter with him in the la- right at the end of, of John when Jesus in a resurrection, resurrection appearance shows up and John sees him from the, from the boat and he jumps in. Or Peter sees him from the boat in the Gospel of John and jumps in the water and they go for a walk. And Jesus, what did he ask him? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you truly love me? And what did he say each time? Peter said, yeah, you know I do. Yeah, you know I do. Yeah, you know I do. But Jesus said, then then feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. What does he mean by that? To provide Thanksgiving turkey? To gateway mission? Of course. But what is food to people? Well, Jesus says that man does not live on bread alone, but by the very word that comes from the mouth of God. So to make a disciple, to make a, uh, to, to, to be on mission, to, to, to honor the call that God has given us, 
It means to tell the story, whether in words or deed. And Peter and John, in Acts chapter 3, were going into a spot, and they ran across a crippled man. The scriptural words, I'm not disabled, but, and he's 40 years old. He'd been crippled a long time. And he was asking for something from them, and they, they turned, and Peter said, look at me. And so the guy turned, made eye contact, because he, he, he was expecting to get something from him. And, and Peter says, I, I don't have any silver or gold, but one thing I do have you. Stand up. Be healed. And he was healed. And then that man who everybody in Jerusalem knew, we find that from the, from the Sanhedrin people in just a moment, that man, he stood up and he walked with Peter and John, and then they started preaching to the people. And here's this man who had been crippled moments before is standing there hanging on to Peter and John as Peter and John are preaching a message. And people start turning. They start changing. He's preaching the resurrection of the dead in the name of Jesus Christ. He's preaching the new gospel that is only days old. And some of the religious rulers heard it. And that's where our story comes today. Peter and John before the Sanhedrin, it says here that the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the, and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John because it was evening, they, or because, and because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. Now, if you remember, in, in, in uh, I believe it was Acts chapter 2, that 42 through 47, when, when they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to, to worship, and to prayer, um, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And we, we, we hear at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit shows up in power for the first time, there were about 3,000 men were converted. Now, just days later, there's 5,000 men. And then you take their wives, and you take their children, and this new Christian, it's not even called Christianity yet, it's called the way, this new Christian way is, is, is now exponentially multiplying. And that is going to make the, the, the people who kind of control the culture a little, a little antsy. And so they come and they hear and they see, and they're like, nope. And so if you just, if you ever, have you heard of cancel culture? It's not new. We're going to shut them up. We're going to put them in jail. We're going to shut them up. And we're going to tell them, don't say those things. It doesn't fit the narrative. But I want you to see what Peter and John do. The next day, the rulers elders and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, not John the apostle, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, colon, now here he goes. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, and this man, that this man stands before you healed. He is, meaning Jesus, the stone the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, 
For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and they conferred together. The Sanhedrin had a little huddle. What are we going to do with these men? Everybody living in Jerusalem knows what they have done, that they have done an outstanding miracle and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. They called them in again and commanded them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether, whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let him go. And they could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Just pause there for a second. I, I love the fact that they say they are unschooled, ordinary men. And that they're astonished. And they took note that they had been with Jesus. Have you been with Jesus? I hope so. If you've been with Jesus, is there, is there a thing about you that other people will notice? Is there a thing about you that your neighbors will notice? Is there a thing about you at your workplace that people will notice? Is there a thing about you in your family that people will notice? I went to a funeral for my friend Mark DeVries from Hardaway on Thursday. And Mark, there's two Mark DeVries at Hardaway. There's one that, who plays the tuba, and he's just known as Tuba Mark. And there's one who was an electrician of DeVries Electric, and we called him Sparky. So Sparky, a couple of weeks ago, was in a deer stand in Missouri, and Rick Petzak, a member of our church, was there hunting with him, and he didn't come back from the hunt. And so they went, maybe he got a deer, they're going to go help him out, and he's slumped over in his deer stand. So Mark has a wife, Two daughters, adult daughters, an adult son, four, five grandkids, and one on the way. The sanctuary was full. Mark was not a learned man. He got out of high school. He, went into a, he became a, a, an apprentice and then a journeyman and then a master electrician and then started his own business. And the guy made more money investing than he did ever from his business. He was a, he was a wise man. He was a smart man but he was not a learned man. And to hear the testimony of his oldest daughter, who I've known since she was eight years old, to hear, to, to hear the stories, people gathering before, the, before the, the, the funeral service, to hear Pastor Mary talk about what his life was like, because she had heard the stories from the family, that man had been with Jesus. That man had almost inexhaustible patience. That man knew who he loved and knew who he was. That man lived 
a life of mission, though he may have never gone on a mission trip. So I ask you, what will be said of you when the Lord calls you home? I think it's a fair question to to ask not only at a funeral, which is what part of a funeral is. God doesn't call extraordinary people. He calls ordinary people to do extraordinary things. You look through the scriptures and you see the, the patriarchs of our faith. Who did God pick? Did he pick, did, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't pick Abram's father who was very accomplished and had much. He called Abram to leave everything, his security, and go to a place that he would tell him about. Moses was a murderer or at least a defender of someone else and the Egyptians saw him as a murderer and, and, and a stammerer. Jacob kept messing up. You look through you look through it all. David was the youngest of those. You look through it all and you see that God calls ordinary people to extraordinary things. And what is the extraordinary thing that God has placed before all of us? Everywhere you go, make disciples. Everywhere you go, remember that you are an ambassador for Christ. But sometimes People don't want to hear what we have to say. Sometimes people don't want uh, to see who we are. Sometimes there's pushback. Well, I think that the, the cultural icons of the day, the Sanhedrin, you've got the, 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 the temple guard, you've got the priests, the high priest himself, and the, the, the Sadducees, and the San, all the Sanhedrin are there, and they're telling, they're threatening, shut up. No longer say who you're saying things about. Don't do it. They're scared that the gospel is going to take root and take over. And they, 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 they threaten them again, they threaten them again, and they send them away. And here's what, here's what John and Peter say when they gather with the church again. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And this is the prayer. Excuse me. Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do nations rage and peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate, this is all the prayer, met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They got pushed back. And where did they go? They gathered with God's people and they went to God. Those who had been with Jesus gathered with one another and then went again to be with Jesus. And they didn't say, Lord, protect me. They said, Lord, consider the threats and give us boldness. Years ago, there was a book, 
floating around evangelical circles. It was when we were all praying for the persecuted church in China. And there was a man who had been pulled out of China who had been a, a Christian there. And he wrote a book, and actually it was a friend of Lynn's that had read it and was blown away by this particular statement. He said, the, people, the Christians in the West are asking for God to stop the persecution of the church in China. But I'm asking you to ask God for stronger backs for the Christians in China so that they can bear more torture. Now, I don't know if God is calling us as Christians toward persecution. We're mildly inconvenient so far. And we've been, we're being stoned to death with marshmallows. You'll still suffocate. It'll just taste sweet. But the culture does not want us, nor has the culture ever wanted the church. But what is our call? If the cancel culture wants to cancel Christians, should we be like John and Peter? Or should we cower and hide? We believe that it's time to get bold. We believe that people, whether they know it or not, desire to be known by God. We believe that the only hope for humanity is healing. The word there when it talked about he was healed and, and they're boldly proclaiming the gospel is so-so. S-O, little weird squiggly Z thing in Greek, and then an O. And that means saved, delivered, healed, redeemed. It's all of it, not just one. So boldly, your consistory set a goal of 500 new opportunities for connection in the next 12 months. And when we talk about connection, yes, connection with other Christians. Yes, connection with your neighbors. Yes, connection with non-believers. Yes, all of it. 500, we're, we're seeking, and Greg is no longer here, so it's not already done. <laughs> By the way, his surgery on Friday went very well. He's recovering. He hopes to come home today, but Greg always hopes to come home before they say he should because no one wants to see Greg leave. So what do we mean by acts of uh, uh, opportunities for connection? Well, the way Pastor Kurt was going to put it is because he'd just gotten back from Mexico and he saw what they did for that family. And then the pastor of that family or the pastor in the area who had chosen that family, he asked the family if they wanted to give their lives to Jesus and they did. So was it the Community Reformed Church mission team that led them to Christ was it the pastor, the local pastor that led them to Christ? Or was it the Holy Spirit that led them to Christ? And he used all of them. He used the kids playing with their children. He used the, the, the working alongside the family as they helped build this house together. But then Kurt, and this is what's great about Kurt, when, when Pastor Kurt is preparing a message, and I always joke with him because all week long, three or four times a day. It's like, oh yeah, well that makes me think about what I was going to preach on. And I saw this and I saw this and I saw this. He's just, he's all in. And he had a week this week of preparing this. He's saying, life is a mission, life is a mission trip, life is a mission trip. And he kept seeing opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. Some he didn't want to do. To be Jesus with skin on to someone else. To love someone in the name of Jesus. To even say, 
I love you because Christ loves you. So if you want to know how to do this, look at, at, at Mark chapter 1 and see what Jesus does with his apostles and then where he takes his apostles. They're not apostles yet. They're disciples. They're not even disciples yet. He says, come, I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Here's your four A's. It means to be aware that we are, we are the link between Jesus and other people. Greg always said, and he stole it from someone, you may be the only Bible anyone ever reads. So are they getting the whole story? Be aware. Be alert for opportunities that he puts before you. That's what Kurt did all week long. He's like, oh, oh yeah, if I'm going to be talking about life is a mission trip, life is a mission trip, life is a mission trip. And you know what? There were, there were half a dozen or more opportunities that God had placed before him that if he hadn't been thinking, he hadn't been alert, he wouldn't have seen. Be available to people and to the Lord. And then finally, be accepting. Accepting of people where they are, not where we think God wants them. And that's a mistake we often make. Not you, we. We expect if, if God has, a, uh, has ordained a meeting, if God has ordained a situation, if God has, has, has given an opportunity, that they are going to become, because of our interaction with them, they are going to automatically become like we think God wants them to be. When you had an encounter with Jesus, did you immediately become all that God wanted you to be? I didn't. I'm still not anywhere close. In fact, the, the more I grow, the more I mature in faith, the more I realize I don't know. The more, the more I succeed, the more I realize how much I've failed. The more I know, the more I know I don't know. And Jesus is the same way. Or Jesus is the same way in all of us. He loves us just the way we are, but he refuses to leave us that way. But what if the church, the people of God, the Christians, what if we, what if we saw people as God sees them? And what if we decided we, each person we meet, we are going to be on mission. We are going to make disciples. We are going are gonna to say or do what Jesus would say or do. What if? What if your neighborhood could be transformed for the sake of Jesus? And you know what? It can. If you start seeking opportunity to connect with people, what is connection? Serving them. Helping them. Listening to them. Praying for them. And asking God to show you how you might be aware, alert, available, and accepting. And by acceptance, I do not mean what the culture says it means. Acceptance means to celebrate even things that are sinful. It's not our call. But we are supposed to be there with people even when they're sinning. To walk with them to talk with them, to know them, and to love them, just as God walked and talked and knew and loved Adam and Eve in the garden. And he's been pursuing them ever since. What if God's people acted like Jesus acts? Jesus was on mission. He came from heaven to earth to show us the way. He did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but took on the nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And what was that for? 
so that people he loved won't perish. You know people that he loves. They just don't know it yet. So how I wrote this down, goal for the ministry year, is 500 new opportunities to, that lead to connection. Connection with other Christians and with people who do not yet know how dear they are to God. So it's 500 mission trips. Some overseas, some to another state, some next door, some within your own household or within your own family. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you would have us see and hear. Lord, give us eyes to see and, heart, and, and ears to hear and hearts to receive who you would have us see, hear, and receive. We can do this. We'll have ideas and stories. So if you have ideas, email us. Call us. And when you have stories, share them. You can protect the name of, of the people that you're interacting with. And you can protect your own name. You don't need to give glory. You know, if you don't feel comfortable with saying what you did, okay. But God's people need to hear the stories of God's people. And God's people should hear the stories of those who are now God's people but weren't before. Let's pray. Lord, you see, as everyone else does, these boxes in front of me. There are seven children that are going to receive a mark of the covenant today. Seven children that are going to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Seven, six families that are bringing children to you. Lord, we have a responsibility to those children and to those families but we also have a responsibility to you and the rest of the world. Lord, change this world through us. I know how Pastor Doug puts it is that the world, we're not here to make the world a better place. We are to be the better place. But Lord, let us be the bigger place in more and more places. Show your people, those who don't yet know, how much you love them because of how we treat them. We pray this in Jesus' name, through the power of your spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen.